0: Hello and welcome to my seventh podcast in a series of 10 for teachers new to the profession. My name is Rebecca Roach and I've been teaching for 22 years in schools in London and South Wales. This podcast is about questioning. When you see effective questioning in practice, it is so clear what a strong impact it has on the learning. I watched an amazing A-level maths lesson where the teacher used questions to probe pupils, to explain the method they'd used, to unpack misconceptions, to bounce the answer around the room. It was a true masterclass in questioning. But I'm sure it had taken that teacher years to perfect her skills. So as a new teacher with 101 other things to think about, I know it's not easy as well as observing excellent practice and trial and error in my own lessons. I've learned a lot about questioning through some excellent CPD in my school, including the Dylan Williams teaching and learning materials, teaching and learning materials from IRIS, work with a freelance consultant, John Beaton, and articles that I've read by Steve Burnage. So the ideas I'm talking about today are a summary of everything that I've learnt and tried out. If you research questioning online, you'll find facts like teachers ask about 400 questions each day, most questions are answered in less than a second, and questions are only answered by an average of three students each class. Students rarely ask questions themselves, and most questions asked by the teacher are not about the work. Where's your pen? Why are you late? Can you stop talking? Does that sound familiar? So why do we need to think about questioning? Well, effective questioning develops pupil cognition by developing their understanding... It also enables pupils to understand how they've learnt, so that's metacognition, and it develops their thinking and a culture of inquiry and curiosity, and this can increase motivation. And this thinking and inquiry is um, a strong feature of the new curriculum for Wales. For me, I use questions in four different ways in my lessons. I would say I use questions to engage the pupils at the start, so it might be part of my starter activity. I set questions to start discussion or problem solving. I definitely use questions to check learning, so that might be in the pit stop or as part of the plenary. And I do sometimes use questions as part of my behavior management strategy. So if I can see a pupil going off task or starting to chat, I might ask them a question to try and draw them back into the lesson and focus them. The only way to get better at questioning is to plan your questions and plan the method for asking them. Ideally, effective questioning should involve everyone. I try and do no hands up now as much as possible and it really does change the dynamic of the lesson. You know, if a pupil puts their hand up, then they are confident they know the answer and everyone else stops thinking. So no hands up means everyone has to think and be ready to answer and so it engages more brains. You know, it's it's really common sense. So I know it's sometimes difficult to remember to do because the pupils naturally put their hands up. And so we naturally just automatically go to pick the pupils that have got their hands up. So no hands up is something that you have to sort of set up at the start of your lesson and say, right, this is going to be a no hands up lesson. I'm going to be picking on anyone so that the pupils are ready for that. There are lots of methods to involve everyone in answering questions. Here are a few. So number one, think, pair, share. I'm sure you've heard of it before. So you ask a question, you get the pupils to think about their answer and then they can turn to the person next to them and share their thinking together before they have to produce an answer that they might share in front of the class. And number two is snowballing, which means that you then pair, pair, two pairs up, and they become a group of four to discuss their answer further. Number three is the use of mini whiteboards. Um, I think these are fantastic because everyone can produce an answer and if they get it wrong, they can just rub that answer out and I think it takes away the fear of getting things wrong. Number four is something called a value line. So if you ask a question that requires a sort of agree to disagree type answer, tell the pupils to stand on an imaginary line to show their response. And then you can take that even further and question pupils about why they've stood in a certain place. Number five is lollipop sticks or random name generators. So I've seen this used really well in a class and it means that you spread the answers around everyone. Everyone gets a chance to answer a question. Number six is voting. So this is good for open ended questions where everyone gets to vote on something. Number seven is why chains. So whenever a question is asked, you follow up with a, a why question. So you might start by asking the question, why do we need laws? A pupil might answer to control people and then you'd ask another question, but why do we need to control people? And then someone else might answer, otherwise it would be chaos. And then you ask another question, but why would it be chaos? And so on. And number eight is to avoid the ping pong situation of you answering a, asking a question and one pupil answering, and then you just having that one-to-one dialogue with that one pupil. And instead, something which we were encouraged to do in school was to use basketball. Or another way of describing this that you might have heard of is pose, pause, pounce, bounce. And so what this means is that you pose the question, you pause and you give pupils time to think, you pounce on a pupil to ask them what their answer is. And then instead of just accepting that answer and moving on, you then bounce it around the room. So you might say to someone else, what do you think about their answer and so on. We've all heard about closed questions and open questions. The best way to use more open questions is to plan them. So you're not having to think off the top of your head. And think about coaching style questions as well and write them down to refer to. So things like, what does this tell us? How can you be sure? And what would happen if? Plan a series of questions clarification questions are good and again write them down like a script so things like what exactly do you mean by that can you give me an example how would that work can you explain it again what would you compare it to the other thing is to use mistakes or incorrect answers as a learning opportunity it's really important how you respond to incorrect answers so that you don't put off that child from answering again in class. So try some of the following. Why do you think that? Can you be sure? Is there another way? Do you have a reason? A big light bulb moment for me years ago was to use Bloom's Taxonomy to structure and plan differentiated questions. I learnt to differentiate my questions for specific pupils and this gave them confidence because if they got the first question correct, it gave them more confidence to contribute and have a go answering harder questions. And I created for myself a color swatch card index type thing that I could hold in my hand of standard questions that I might ask in a lesson with Describe or identify type questions in one colour, going through the swatch to more compare and contrast or evaluate or give an opinion type questions in a different colour. So I could walk around the classroom with the swatch in my hand and flick to, you know, a purple evaluate question, for example, for a map pupil, and then flick to a green describe question for a lower ability pupil. What do we do if pupils say I don't know to a question or if you really can't get any sort of response out of them? Well, firstly, I would keep trying. Don't let them get away with saying nothing. Maybe just rephrase the question and ask them again. Or secondly, you might give them a couple of different options as a response to help support them you might give them sentence starters. So I did create for my subject a sheet which had some sentence starters on it to help really unconfident pupils respond. Or you might do something like phone a friend and give them an option to get a friend to help them out. And finally, get pupils to ask questions. I think this is so important because I think pupils don't ask enough of their own questions and the benefits are that pupils can ask questions at the level with which they feel comfortable. Pupils can hear other people's questions. Pupils can listen to you, model answers. And you can find out what sort of aspects of a topic pupils are interested in. There are some different ways that you might get pupils to ask questions. You might set it as a homework task that pupils have got to create questions about a new topic coming up. Or you might appeal to their competitive nature and at the end of the lesson, ask pupils to come up with the hardest question they can think of about the topic. You might set it up as a team game and split the room in half. One half's got to ask a question and the other half of the room's got to answer it or you might get pupils to write questions and create their own quiz, which maybe another class could then take part in. I know teaching a lesson feels like a juggling act, and there is so much to remember, which is why my key piece of advice is to plan your questions and your questioning methods. Write them in your plan, or put them into your PowerPoint. Teaching is a set of skills that needs practice. So don't expect to be a master straight away, but stick at it and questioning will become more natural to you. Once again, thank you for listening. And my next podcast will be about literacy.